So last time we talked about the standard model just as an introduction, um, basically listing particles and talking a little bit about their properties. Today, I wanted to get into combining some of those particles, specifically combining the quarks and talking about hadrons, which are all particles made of quarks. They're given the name hadrons. All right, well, all... Okay, I see. Right, yes. Okay, I was jumping ahead. So there's two types of hadrons though, yeah. right? There's the baryons and the mesons. Right, um, right, right. Yep. So hadrons are quark combinations, any combination of quarks. And then you can split them up into two different groups, the mesons and the baryons, which I, so all of this kind of like zoology of particles confused me a lot for a long time. And I, I want to blame it on one particular particle which is the muon, which we talked about last time is the heavy electron, right? Right, yep. Another name for the muon, at least when I went and like learned this stuff, maybe the first time, maybe the second time, one of the early times, someone in a book or a teacher or a video or something referred to the muon as the mu meson. Right. And the muon is the heavy electron, not made of quarks, but mesons are a type of hadron, quark particle. So right there, I was confused, like from, from the beginning, I've been confused about these things and haven't, I haven't been able to separate them until like literally a month ago when you and I started talking about the idea of discussing the standard model <laughs> because of that one confusing term. I just never put it together and I've still seen references to the mu meson, but it's totally not a meson. Right. Yeah. And so, but the, the reason, the reason that that's the case is, uh, uh is it Yukawa? Uh, mm-hmm. predi- right. so we, we had, uh, you know, in the thirties, I think it was, we had, uh, Baryons. I don't know if that's what we called them, but we had, uh, you know, the proton and the neutron. Mm-hmm. And then we had electrons and electron neutrinos. We knew, okay, we have these light particles. And lepton, I think, means light. And then baryons. And I'm not sure if bary has some root in heavy or something. Mm-hmm. Um, Yukawa predicted a uh, strong force particle that would weigh roughly 200 to 300 times, or 300 times, I think, the electron. And so that created this new intermediate class of particles. Uh, and they called those the mesons. Right. Meso, like the yeah, middle. Yeah. So, so anything that was heavier than electrons and, but lighter than protons and neutrons, because those are pretty close in mass, um, it was in this middle category. And mm-hmm. so they went searching for that, uh, for the particle that Yukawa predicted, and they thought they found it. Uh, and except when they like looked at it in more detail, they found out that was the muon, but it was in that middle category of weight. So they said, oh, that's a meson. <laughs> um, so it originally was the mu meson. And then over time, once we really started discovering quarks and stuff, we, we abandoned this, uh, categorization by, by mass or weight and went to this, uh, categorization by, uh, quarks, you know, the, the, by the fundamental particles that we found out these things are actually made out of. Right. And, uh, so at some point, yeah, there, there was a transition where we said, okay, mesons are actually, uh, pairs of quarks, uh, and, uh, not heavier particles. So, uh, 
that's where like that confusion, you know, you must have either had an old book or a professor, you know, who was working in like the 60s or something when he learned this stuff. And so for him, it was the Mew Maison at the time, you know, right. or her, I guess I should say. Well, it, and it definitely wasn't like, I, I don't want to make it sound like it was definitely titled Mew Maison. It was usually given as like sometimes called a Mew Maison or Mewon. Like, you know, they gave the two options, but they gave them an equal weighting. But right. I never caught on that it was like, it was just like a leftover that didn't really make sense. I, I don't, for some reason, yeah, it, it tripped me up, confused me about the cork Maison, which I think is like actually what we call Maisons now, as you said, made up of two corks, any particle with two corks, that's a Maison. But yeah, the, the Mew, the Mew Maison or, you know, what I, I, I think we should all just say Muon and then leave Mew Maison in the past and it's, it's done. Yeah. So yeah, if you, if you see that term, immediately replace it with Muon. And right. know that Maisons have to be made up of corks. Right, right. And the muon is not a Maison. Yeah, good. So we, we have the, the hadrons made up. I mean, any, any group of corks that we consider bound to make one particle, and those are all the hadrons, like the large hadron collider is colliding cork particles. And you can have bound states of corks that could be pairs of corks, and specifically, not just any two quarks, but one quark and one anti-quark. And we, you can kind of see that from what we talked about last time, where we emphasized that quark, any observable quark particle, has to be in a colorless singlet state. We talked about quarks having colors like red, green, and blue. And you can either combine red, green, and blue quarks, three quarks, and build up a three-quark particle, which we call the baryons, or you can have a quark and an anti-quark, which is also colorless. Um, so two different ways to get a colorless particle, a quark and anti-quark, those are mesons, or three quarks, one red, one green, one blue, and that makes a white particle or colorless particle, which is the um, baryons. Right. And so, yeah, the the one of the things I thought was interesting, yeah, is that there's there's the two ways to get a colorless thing. And by number, the two ways aren't the same. But by, by number, uh, you could have a red, green, blue baryon. Um, and that has, you know, plus one red, plus one green, plus one blue. Mm-hmm. Or you can have an, a, a, court, or a red, anti-red uh, ha- or maison. And that's plus one red minus one red and so it's net zero red zero green zero blue right but colorless yeah but those two are both uh stable you know one 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 or zero 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 right yep or i guess minus one minus one minus one i think as well yeah anti yes and i'm going to say this but I, i know nothing about it but you can get creative and come up with a way to combine a red a green and a blue and then an anti red and a red again, like, and have five quarks in a particle, which is called a, a pentaquark particle. And they, they pop up in the news every once in a while that someone claims to have found one or evidence for the possibility of one in a collision somewhere. Um, but the, you, you can imagine higher numbers of quarks that can combine to make colorless combinations. But I, I don't want to get into those because I don't really know much about them, but I know that they're hypothesized to possibly exist in some situations. Yeah. The only thing I know is that uh, I think it's at Brookhaven. They're trying to look for states like that where they're uh, colliding heavy ions. Mm. Um, 
And then uh, I think at Keck in Japan, they found a four cork state where it's essentially like two Maisons. Mm. Uh, yeah. Two regular quarks and two anti quarks, which also, right. again, are colorless. Yeah. And it, it's kind of interesting counting, you know, what what is the, like, is the pentacork why isn't it just considered a baryon and a meson bound to each other, which it totally could be. And so it's kind of like, how do you count what the, the actual bound state is? Is it all five quarks interacting or is it the three and the two interacting as two separate particles? So, yeah. 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 But yeah, one way, the fun, the two fundamentals is going to be some sort of meson and some sort of bary- baryon, right? Right. That's most of, that's, you know, most of what people talk about when they talk about the hadrons. Something to add is, if you remember from last time, quarks are what kind of spin? Uh, they are one-half spin particles. Spin one-half particles, right? So you can combine two of them, and they could have both spin up, both spin down, or one spin up and one spin down, um, and combine into a total spin of zero or one or negative one, right? So integer spins for the mesons when you have two quarks they can combine to make integer spins, which we said were uh, a certain type of statistics. Those are bosons, which can combine in particular ways that uh, the other type of particle cannot in the statistical way of thinking about these particles. So mesons are, are integer spin particles. So they, they follow Bose-Einstein statistics. And then the baryons, the three quarks, you got three one-half spin particles combining and they always will combine into half integer spin bound states, bound particles. So the baryons are all what we call fermions, which have half integer spin, either one half or three halves or, you know, negative versions of those. Which is, which is really good and important since protons are uh, baryons. And mm-hmm. if they had integer spin, we could just collapse them all in on each other. <laughs> right. We would just yeah, possibly collapse into ourselves if we were extremely cold. And just, yeah, live in the ground state, all happy, all of us together. <laughs> um, but that's actually interesting. Uh, if you think about baryons, the, the quantum wave function, what, what it means to be a fermion in terms of symmetry. Do you know, Zach? Um, it's if, it, are you talking about like parity? And if you, yeah. uh, I think a fermion, when you swap two, you have to, you gain a negative sign. Exactly, exactly. So if you swap two particles, essentially, in your your fermion, which baryons are an example, you end up getting the negative version of that particle before the swap happened. So you can think of baryons of being made up of four different uh, wave functions, meaning like you, you, you multiply four different parts of the baryon together to get the full wave function of the baryon. One is the space like just like literally where is it in space and you you can kind of think of analogies to like the hydrogen atom or like learning quantum mechanics with the the coulomb potential where it's you have your your um you know your n equals what that determines how large your electron orbital is in an atom so that's like the space spatial wave function so you have space then you have spin you have spin a half or spin three halves if they combine all together something like that uh, you can have, or you do have a flavor part of your wave function. So we have space, spin, and flavor. Do you remember what the flavors are from last time? Yeah. So remind our listeners. Flavors <laughs> are the same as, as, or similar to, I guess not the same as, but uh, 
it's essentially we have up, down, strange, charm, uh, top and bottom, right? It's it's our right. type. It's essentially a type of that particle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what kind of cork is it? Right, exactly. And we got those six different flavors. And then the last part, so we have space, spin, flavor, and then the fourth one is the color, the thing we were talking about earlier, red, green, blue. Um, that's, the, that's the four, uh, I guess, components of a baryon's wave function. And I'm talking about baryons in particular for a reason, and we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, but we can do some nice things and just kind of make arguments since we know baryons are fermions and they have to be anti-symmetric, meaning swap two things, we get the negative. If you multiply a symmetric, uh, wave function by another symmetric wave function, the product is a symmetric wave function, right? And if you multiply an anti-symmetric by an anti-symmetric, you can imagine swapping two particles and both of those parts of the wave function would get a minus sign and they would cancel out. So an anti-symmetric and an anti-symmetric product wave function would give you a symmetric wave function. But remember, we want the fermions, the baryons, to be anti-symmetric. So we need either one anti-symmetric of the four or three of the four being anti-symmetric to end up with a net anti-symmetric part of our wave function, right? Uh, right, okay. Yeah. You're following? Yes. Okay, we can knock out two of those real quick. And the first one is just kind of a usual way that textbooks introduce the wave function of baryons, which can get pretty complicated. But the first way is to look at the spatial wave function and consider only the ground state, which is mostly what we're going to be talking about today. We might get into some excited states, but the ground state, just like in a hydrogen atom, Remember the ground state of the electron orbital is just a sphere, like it's it's just a ball, right? So that's very symmetric. So the ground state for a bound baryon of three quarks, again, is just going to be symmetric. It has to be. There's not enough angular momentum possibilities for it to be not symmetric, right? So the spatial is symmetric. The other rule in physics, the color wave function we said it has to be in a colorless state, but not just any colorless state. It has to be in a colorless singlet state. That's the only way to have an observed particle in physics, which I asked you offline outside of this podcast, if there's any other situation where there's just kind of a, an ad hoc rule to physics where they say, yeah, mathematically, there's lots of different ways to combine the color charges of three quarks. But in physics, we only see this one version. Like you can think of the combination of red, green, and blue, and anti-red, anti-green, anti-blue. You can come up with lots and lots and lots of different versions of that. But physics requires that we have um, a singlet colorless state for our quarks, which is always anti-symmetric, the singlet states. If you think of like, they make a lot of analogies with like hyperfine splitting. Hey, the name of the podcast, hyperfine. I think that's the first time we've said it. But um, the hyperfine splitting in hydrogen, the, there's the singlet state originally, which is always an anti-symmetric combination of, of two electrons or the electron and proton or whatever you want to consider, um, or the quarks in this case. So there's just a, a rule just given to physics that says it has to be a colorless singlet state, which is always anti-symmetric. So, sorry. Yeah. Remind me again, okay, a, by singlet state, what do you mean there versus like what would be like a, a doublet state or a triplet state? 
Um, essentially, uh, the quickest way is if you imagine two quarks, or let's see, we have three quarks here. It's it's the spin one half version. It's one up, one spin down. So spin positive one half, spin negative one half, and then another one that could be positive or negative. But basically, it's not a spin three halves version because there's like imagine spin three halves your like spinner vector in space. You have multiple like orientations that you could take with that. Does that gotcha. make sense? Yes. But yes. there's only one spin value for a spin one half combination of three quarks. So it, it's the essentially it's the spin one half state of the quarks. Okay. It, it's not a great explanation, but that's kind of there's one unpaired quark. Right, right. Yeah. Okay, so we have spatial, which is symmetric. We have color, which is anti-symmetric. That leaves us with spin and flavor to make up the rest of our baryon wave function. So can I say that at this point we know, okay, when we combine those two, we're going to get something that is anti-symmetric, right? That's right. Yep. Okay. So, so okay, at, at, at halfway through, we are, we are anti-symmetric. Yep. So and that means... Two more. Th- yeah, so that, that means that somehow these, these other two must combine to be symmetric in some way. That's right. Either they're both they're both symmetric themselves, like spin and flavor are both symmetric, or they're both anti-symmetric. Right. Spin and flavor would be both anti-symmetric, but they can't be opposite symmetries. Right. Yeah, because then we'd end up with a symmetric uh, result. Right. Again, this is for the ground state, but it's the most simple, and it's worth talking about because it explains quite a bit. Okay, so after color, I want to get into the spin part of the wave function. All right. And the, the spin wave function can either be, like we, we basically already talked about this in the example of what a singlet state is. We have three quarks. Um, they can be the spin three half version where all the quarks spins line up or spin one half version. The spin three halves version, imagine to build the three halves spin, each quark has to be have each quark has to have its spin pointing in the same direction, right? They all have to add up together. So you can imagine swapping any two of those, that doesn't change anything. Right. Right. So that's that's a symmetric version of the spin wave function. If it's spin three halves. Okay. If it's spin one half, you can have a combination where spin of quark one and spin of quark two maybe those are anti-symmetric or you can have the spin of quark two and spin of quark three kind of combined to give you an anti-symmetric wave function it's anti-symmetric in the swapping of two quarks to give a spin one half baryon made up of three quarks okay you follow that yeah so you're talking so we have we have a uh, baryon it's made up of, of um, three quarks and mm-hmm. it has a spin wave function that goes along with it. Right. Um, but then that spin wave, you know, and, and, or maybe I should say it has a wave function that's a mul- multiplication of these four different types of these four, uh, states. Right. 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 Um, and when we talk about the spin, that one is also then composed of a multiplication of, uh, the, the sub states essentially of each individual quirk. 
something right. along those lines. And so, yeah, I think what you're saying then is, is you know, uh, that combination can be symmetric or anti-symmetric, something mm-hmm. along those lines. Okay. And it, yeah. And not only that, but it can be symmetric and anti-symmetric. Yeah. In, in the, the pair, like in a particular pair, like swap one and two, you get a minus sign. Or it's in a state where you swap one and two, you don't get a minus sign, but you do swap two and three, you get a minus sign. Like you can build up different combinations, linear combinations of quark spin states and have a particular spin wave function. Okay. Um, and you might be wondering, what about the one three? It's not, it, it, you can build the one three anti-symmetric state out of the one two and the two three. Like you can get a linear combination of those to build up the one three state. So it's it's actually not a linearly independent state for the quark spin function. Take my word on it. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. Yep. Okay. Um, so this is getting into like combinatorics of counting states essentially. And I'm going to go into the flavor one after this, which is a little bit more complicated, which is why I want to start on the spin version. So we have three quarks, which each have two possibilities spin up or spin down, right? Right. So in the combination space, that's not technically the word, but think of two, but then that's for one quark. There's two options, but then you have multiply that by the two states for the other quark, and then multiply that by the two states for the third quark. You get a total of eight possible spin states in the space of all the possibilities that the quarks can have. Like you can imagine like, spin up, spin up, spin down, you know, spin up, spin down, spin up, any combination of those things, you get eight. Right. Yeah. So that's just the rough counting way to figure out that how many states possibilities there are. You can reorganize those and transform them into a group of four, which is the symmetric spin three halves spin wave function. And the four states you can imagine is like, way up there spin three halves pointing as high as possible spin three halves kind of pointing lower at an angle right okay like imagine projections onto the right. z-axis is usually what we do yep. and then the negative versions of those two things so we get four right there right and then the other one so we had, would have a four and then we add to that the two for the the spin one half version and then add the other two for the other spin one half version and remember each one of those spin one half versions are anti-symmetric in uh, one and two, and or anti-symmetric in two and three. So, just number-wise, algebra-wise, we're taking two times two times two and saying that's equal to four plus two plus two. Two times two times two zero. Okay, four plus two plus two. Okay, all right. So we still have eight equals eight, but there's just different ways of organizing and grouping these things together. Different ways of looking at the same basic thing. Yeah. So it's like. Uh, you know, you can draw out like your little, it's almost like a truth table since it's a binary mm-hmm. system exactly. for your three, uh, you know, uh, spin or cork one, cork two, cork three. Uh, and if you just arbitrarily do it, you're going to, when you, you know, find all the combinations, you'll get eight states. But then now you're going to say, okay, let's look at this a little more intelligently and we can kind of come up with these overall uh, ways of looking at it that gives us, um, you know, a breakdown of these into the smaller sets that are, we can say are similar because of the, the overall spin state. Yep. Yep. So that, that four possible 
version group is a symmetric, the spin three halves, spin state, and then the two um, spin one half versions are both symmetric. Um, we'll come back to that. But I wanted to go through that counting way of thinking about things because it's going to get interesting and become useful when we get into this last part of the wave function, the flavor wave function. And just like we kind of assumed that we're in the ground state for these, this baryon, let's work with what was originally, uh, what they were originally working with in this quark theory, which was only the up and the down quark, and then this third new quark, the strange quark. So what I want you to do, Zach, do you have a piece of paper and a pen? I didn't prep you for this. Just got one right now. Okay. Yep. Awesome. <laughs> what I want you to do is draw a line that goes out to the, like start maybe, I don't, is it line paper or graph paper? Yeah, it's the engineering paper, the green stuff. Okay, cool. So give yourself like four boxes worth of room above where I'm about to start. So imagine where you put your pen down is the origin. Have the origin be like four, at least four boxes, maybe five from the top of your paper. Okay. And make it maybe like the middle of your paper. All right. So you're about maybe five boxes down and middle of your paper. Draw a line from there up into the left at some diagonal. Okay. All right. And then do another line up and to the right at a diagonal. Okay. Right. Hopefully at the same like diagonal angle yeah, in the yeah. other direction. So now I have a little V. You have a V. Perfect. And then draw a vertical line from the top of your paper down into that origin. All right. So now it looks like I'm looking at the corner of a cube. Yeah, yeah it does. Perfect. Okay. From So you basically, what, I, what I've had you draw is basically three axes. So just like if we had an X and Y grid, you would draw lines that are perpendicular to the X axis. So those would be vertical lines, right? If right. you marked off like one, two, three on your X axis, you would draw uh, you would draw vertical lines that cross your X axis at a right angle, right? So this is going to get a little complicated and maybe use like dotted lines or like a thin line, but draw perpendicular lines evenly spaced on on the left and right diagonal ones going up from the origin. It's like make little tick marks maybe at like where one of those, where your diagonal line crosses a, a grid spot. Yeah, okay, so. I've, I've, and then you want me to tr draw out those lines, right? Uh, just dash them like really lightly. They're not super important for what we're doing, but it'll help get things to line up. All right, I'm there, I believe. Okay, so you got perpendicular lines to your up and to the left diagonal and then perpendicular lines to your up and to the right diagonal? Yes. Awesome. Okay. So this is part I'm going to try and describe. It's a little tricky. The, the, so from the origin, go up and to the left. Okay. To your first crossing. All right. And then go directly right to the other diagonal lines crossing. And where that, where those two points, right in the middle of them, should be your vertical line. Make a tick mark there on that vertical line. All right. And then do the same thing on the next crossings of your diagonal lines. Wherever the line, right, the point right in between on that vertical line, make a little tick mark. Okay, all right. Yeah, so uh, I'm going up to, I'm going to into the diagonal, I'm going to call it the northwest direction. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then I go to northeast direction. And That's then, right. And then I'll do it again at three northwest, three northeast. Yep. Okay. Perfect. Okay. 
you should have, I don't think I told you how many tick marks to make, did I? No, you did not. Okay. At the bottom, you should have an origin and then you should have up into the left to be one, two, three. Do you have at least one, two, three? Yes. Okay. And then up into the right, one, two, three? Yes. And then, so on the vertical line, you should, should have also one, two, three. Yes. Four, if I include the origin. And if you include the origin, they all have four, right? Yeah. It's a little confusing because it's not technically the origin. So let me let me okay. let me just have you put points down at each crossing. So it'll be really easy because there's the origin, and then up left, up left again, up left again. There should be three points on that up left line. Yep. Okay. And then three points on the up right line. Okay. And then there should be a point. I want to point everywhere that the three the, the the lines that are perpendicular from all three of your quote-unquote axes meet right okay all right. so yeah so, so i think uh what i can say is that's every intersection of the uh parallel lines um is what you want right so i should yes. if i have three things here let me do it really quick I should end up with a, essentially to me, it kind of looks like a uh, four by four grid turned sideways. Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly. 16 points. Right. Okay. So you, you should have a triangle, essentially. What I want you to do is stop when you get um, to the, the the horizontal line that connects the highest okay. All right. dashes. Yep. Okay. So yeah. So then I cut that in half. I don't have the. Yeah. I don't keep going above there. Yeah. Yeah, so I have a total of uh, 4 plus 3. I think it's 10, if I remember correctly. 4, 3, 2, 1. Yeah, 10. That's right. I, I should have known that. I didn't even have to count because I'm going to tell you what this is in a second. Those are my beer pong. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> beer pong memories coming back from yep. college. Your triangle numbers. Right. Okay. What you... So, what... And there should be one right in the middle also. Obviously, if you have 10, you got that one in the middle. Yes, yes. That okay. one is there. Now, let's label those axes with quark types. The up to the left is actually the down quark number, the downness, if you will. The up to the right is the upness, so this is your up quark counting. Okay. And then the vertical line is your strangeness. All right. And it gets a little weird because the zero for strangeness is the three for upness. Like if you go the three for upness, that's the easiest one. Let's do, let's label the up axis. It's zero at that origin spot I've been referring to. Okay. Up to the right is one. And then another one is two and then three. All right. And then go all the way horizontally left where that hits that strange axis. That's zero strange. Okay. So it's right in the middle of two points. Is that correct? Yep. Or, yeah, okay. yeah. There's no, there's no dot there, but that's a label of zero strangeness on that vertical line. And then going down from there is negative one on the strange axis and going down from there is negative two and then negative three. Okay. So, so the, the origin there mm -hmm. is the thing that we've been calling the origin is negative three, negative three strangeness. That's right. Okay. All right. And that's a, that must be negative two and that's negative one. All right. Gotcha. And then up and to the left from that origin is downness, but it, it's actually negative. So it's negative one, negative two and negative three going okay. up and to the left okay so i've got my uh my 
strange up down axes yeah it's kind of weird it's it's like three axes it's like a three axis grid but labeling count it's counting quarks essentially okay so i want to i'm going to come back to that in a second but we have our wave function for flavor and that's again we're limiting ourselves to three types of flavors up down and strange so in our baryon in the wave function we have three quarks which could be one of three different colors so just like we counted the spin states wave function we had three times three times three in the spin state we had two times two times two right because each quark could be up or down had a choice of two things this time we have three possibility up down or strange so we have a three by three by three group but we could combine those in different ways that are symmetric completely symmetric or we can have them be anti-symmetric in quarks one and two or anti-symmetric in quarks two and three or we can have it be in the singlet state completely anti-symmetric there's no combination part of it and if you organize those things what you just drew up uh, down and strange grid that is the symmetric version of that group how many dots do you have there i think you already said well yeah so uh the dot the intersection points i have 10 that's right there's 10 places to intersect and the reason we didn't keep going like extend example ex we, for example we didn't extend the horizontal line of strangeness further upward because we only have three quarks, so at most we have a strangeness of negative three. Right, which would be something like three, uh, three strange quarks. Or, All three quarks three. are strange, exactly. And I mean, you could go into the antiparticles, which we're kind of ignoring, but you just—it's a mere reflection of that drawing. It's the same. It's the same combinations. It's just complete mere reflections of it. So we're only working with non-antiparticles. Um, and uh, let me remind why strangeness is counted as negative and so is downness. It's it's based on what charge those quarks have. So down and strange quarks both have a charge of negative one-third. So the ness, the N-E-S-S version of those quarks, like the strangeness and the downness, those are given negative values. So and a strangeness of negative three means three strange quarks. Um and you notice it's nice because look at the the negative three strangeness it's zero up quarks and zero down quarks which makes sense right the upness and downness is zero it's all strangeness that's your three strange quarks right yeah okay so what you've just drawn is the symmetric part of the three by three by three so what, what is three by three by three three times three times three 27 27 so we should have a like a number plus another number plus another number maybe plus another number which which ends up equaling 27 just like we had two times two times two that's equal to four plus two plus two okay so what you just drew is the grid and all those intersection points are the possible quark particles for flavor states that are the symmetric version so we have 10 of the 27 possible states in that symmetric grid that you drew the triangle of those points right okay cool yep um, those all have names. Each one of those points, those are all different types of particles. Yeah. So each, each one of these basically exists. Yep. Um, 
and maybe not this exact combo of things, right? But I believe um, uh, along these lines is how uh, Murray Gelman predicted uh, the omega minus particle. Yeah, we're, the omega minus is on your paper right now, and I actually just talked about it. That omega minus was not observed, but he saw that point down at the what we called the origin with three strange quarks. They hadn't observed a particle that had a strangeness of negative three yet. So he observed that there should be a state there and that's what he called the omega minus. And he, you know, looking at patterns in the little drawing that you have on your paper, he was able to predict what its mass was, what its charge would be. Um, yeah, just, he just said, this is a particle. I'm calling it omega minus. Keep looking. You're going to find it. And that's exactly what they did. So the, the, each little dot on your paper is a particle and I can look up. This is called a baryon decouplet as opposed to a baryon octet that we'll get to in a little bit. They're all this, this family, this thing that we're doing of drawing grids of different quarks is essentially, uh, this is called multiplets, the quark multiplets. And we're going to, we have, there's tons and tons and tons of them. And there's some for excited states. Remember, we're working in ground state only. And it's all about these combinations of how do you organize spins and flavors of particles to give you different bound states of three quarks or two quarks. We'll get in the mesons in a little bit. So just going across your grid, you should have four in the top row, which are the lambdas. Those are all the lambdas. Lambda minus, lambda zero, lambda plus, and lambda plus plus. And I should say that usually, instead of drawing quark axes like I did, it's usually given in terms of strangeness and charge. And sometimes like isospin is worked in there as well. Those are the three grids that they, they label these as. And I, I kind of understood it, but I never really got it. And I know why they do it in textbooks. It's because that's how historically these were thought about was something called strangeness that they observed in particles. But what that ended up being was just the strange quark amount. And then upness and downness leads to the total amount of charge, like proton and neutron, which we're going to see in a second. But across the top row, those are all your lambda particles. They have strangeness of zero. They're just... Uh, a combination of up and down quarks that give different charges. And then the middle row that has three points, those are all your sigma particles. Right. Sigma star, I should say, because there's sigma mesons. There's other sigmas, but these are sigma stars. Um, and the next one, I believe it's pronounced xi. It's the, the, the Greek letter with kind of like three bars. The top and bottom are a little longer. It's xi, yeah. right? Uh, I think or is it, I don't know actually. The, I don't. I know most of the lowercase Greek letters. When you get the capital ones, I'm kind of. <laughs> yeah. I know the common ones. So we got a, a xi star minus and a xi star zero. And again, the zero, then the plus and the minus are reference to charge amounts. For example, the delta plus plus has like an extra amount of charge compared to other ones. There's a delta plus, which has a charge of one, and delta plus plus is a charge of two. And then the final one down at the bottom there, three strange quarks, what we call the origin, that's that omega minus particle. Right. So this is the the baryon decouplet, which is a way of combining three different quarks, all the combinations, into a symmetric combination of 10 states of the 27 possible ways to organize three quarks and three flavors. Okay, so I... I may have a question okay. uh, for you at this 
point. I, maybe and maybe this isn't the best time to answer this question. Okay. So, uh, looking at this grid, if I go on my zero strangeness axis, I want to be at zero, mm-hmm. and I go to uh, two up and one down, or two down and one up. Zero strangeness, two up, one down. Or two down and one up. What what are those particles? Zero strangeness. Sorry. Uh, two up and one down. I'm having a hard time. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah, that's lambda plus. Right. Um. Or I'm okay. sorry. It's I keep saying lambda. It should be delta. Delta. I'm sorry. Delta. Completely yeah, erase that word lambda. There's no lambda particle in what we just talked about. Yeah, De- delta all of that. across the top are deltas. All then, of them are deltas. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so okay, we have a, a delta plus mm-hmm. and a delta zero, I believe, are the That's two right. that yep. I've said. Uh, okay, but last week, right? Uh, we said, hey, uh, you know, I think you even quizzed me. What are two up particles and a, or two up quarks and a down quark? Or what are two down quarks and an up quark? Mm-hmm. Do you remember what we said last week? Ah, yep. So proton or neutron, right? Right. Yep, exactly. So these are combinations of protons and neutrons that are in... Um, it's a different isospin state. We haven't talked about isospin, but it's it's it. You can kind of think of it as like a higher energy version of a proton and a neutron. They're identical. Really, the difference is the mass. That's kind of it. Ah, okay. But it, it is something different with isospin, which is isospin is just like the nuclear spin, right? Yeah. It's the the spin of versus um uh. Like, you know, electrons have spin. Isospin is the same thing for the nuclear state, right? That's right. Yeah. Just like, yeah, normal spin. There's nothing spinning, but it's a quantum mechanical number that distinguishes um, up and down quarks in different baryon states. Gotcha. Okay. So it's a, it's a, it's a mass thing. Yeah. It's essentially, that's it. I mean, you get the, like, people call this the particle zoo because, you know, we have six quarks, but they can combine in... We think only, you know, so many countable ways, but then you get higher energy versions. Like if we're not working in the ground state, you can get the excited versions of these states, which are also deltas, but they're delta stars, delta star stars. And, you know, eventually they stop labeling them and they just say delta and then a number in parentheses, which is the mass, which just tells you it's a higher energy version of that particle. Right. Okay. Yeah, I think I I think I read somewhere that there's there was up where upwards of like 80 Mm-hmm. particles or something at one point back mm-hmm. so like like you know historically speaking uh when we were doing this is we saw the particles before we saw the quarks and so we just had this huge list of of what we thought were fundamental particles yeah these the baryons right they yeah. just kept multiplying anytime you smashed them at higher higher energies you kept getting more and more particles and they're like well this is worthless we just have this zoo of particles with no explanation yeah and then it wasn't until um murray gelman and uh there was i forget there's someone else that at the same time had um came out with the same idea as him um that he kind of arranged this uh 
decouplet or uh, octets. Mm-hmm. Um, and at some point was able just to kind of say, well, actually, I think all of this can come from three particles. Right. Uh, Zweig is it was this other guy. Yeah. Name. Yeah. I, yeah. Israeli guy. Right. Uh, I believe. I, maybe. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> if it is, I just said his name wrong, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, let me just read straight from Wikipedia gods that say the, the delta baryons that are the analogs to protons and neutrons, like two up and a down or two down and an up, the delta ones are spin three halves, like the baryon itself is a spin three half particle and an isospin of three halves. But the proton and the neutron are both spin one half and isospin of one half. So it's these these tables that we make, you draw like all the quark combinations and you say, okay, what's the total spin of the particles that I want the, of, the, of the, the, the baryon or meson that I want to have? And then you fix that and then you say, okay, what states are possible with that combination? And we get 10 for this uh, up-down strange combination baryon decouplet for spin three halves. But now... Exactly same table, exactly same number of quarks, but let's fix the spin to be a one-half spin state for the baryon in total. So and to repeat, what you just drew was the spin three-halves state of three quarks in a bound baryon state. Now we're going to talk about the spin one-half version. Same exact quarks, up-down strange, same grid, nothing changes, but we're limiting our options to a spin one half combination. Okay. So if we are in a spin three halves particle, do you remember if that was symmetric or anti-symmetric? No, I believe it was symmetric, right? It's symmetric. That's right. You change the, the states and nothing changes because they're all, the quarks are all spinning in the same direction, quote unquote. Right. So you change them, it doesn't make a difference. But if we are in a one half, spin one half state of the three quark combination, now we get into some anti-symmetric versions. And we have a little bit of a problem. Um, where we have those deltas, the, the delta zero and the delta plus as before, those are allowed. All the three where the sigma stars are, all those three in the middle there, those are allowed. And the word I don't know, I think it's xi. Yes, I looked it up, it is. Okay, xi minus and xi zero, those are allowed still. But we have problems in the corners of that triangle. So in the top right, the delta plus plus, that's an up, an up, and an up quark. Right. Which you could see on our axes because it's on three on the up axis, zero on strange, and it's zero on D, right? Down quarks. So it's up, up, up. And then in the top left corner, that's the down, 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 a delta minus. And then the the omega minus, which Murray Gilman said should exist but hadn't been observed yet, and then eventually they did, which gave a lot of evidence towards this being correct. That omega minus, there's no spin one half version. There's no way to combine up, 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 or down, 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 or strange, strange, strange in any way to get a spin one half particle. And the the problem with those is the poly exclusion principle. Okay, so we're limited by our uh, other quantum numbers to only have, um, you know, like it, it boils down to, okay, we need to have different spins and then 
uh, once you have two in the same, you're kind of screwed. Is that exactly, it? Exactly. Exactly. There's no more. There's no more places to put a quark state to end up with a spin one half particle, but have the same flavor as the other two quarks. Right. Yeah. Because then, yeah, flavor's all the same. Uh, uh, spin is all the same. Or would I guess? Or sorry, spin would have to be. Yeah. Wait. How does that work with? Uh, like the delta plus plus particle when it's up 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 they're all the same flavor all the same spin what were our other two space and color color mm-hmm. so they're all different colors is that that's right the i guess that's the dividing one in this case right right for right. like the delta plus plus right but for the the equivalent in the spin one half state mm-hmm couldn't we just have the same thing? Um, like, 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 can't they all just have different colors and then we're good? Spin one half, we could be anti-symmetric. I think what you're getting to is, is correct, but my problem was that what I'm saying is like, this is the, the flavor state. It, it's not that, um, let me pick like Delta plus, for example. It's not that it's, the, the the quark state is not up up down it's not that it's it's like an up up down minus up down up plus down up up all over root three you know it's 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 like a linear right. combination of different things which have pluses and minus signs and they start they, they are actually way messier than i'm making them out to be but this is just a nice way to count how many of each quark there are but sometimes you get an up, up, down. Sometimes you get a down, up, up, and they're in different linear combinations of those things. Right. So that's a non-answer to your question of <laughs> uh, can't you just do you know anti-symmetric and symmetric you know spin one half and have them be all up quarks? Um, I don't think it's that simple. Like it's not just it's not as simple as I'm making out to be just quark counting. Right. Okay. So. Sorry, that's not a real answer to your question, but it comes down to that basic fact that there's there's we're making linear combinations that are independent of each other, and the actual particles are are, are sorry we're, we're making base states that are independent of each other, and then the actual particles are linear combinations of those base states. Right. Okay. And there's actually a pretty good drawing in the Griffiths book and I'm quickly trying to find it where it's yeah here we go it's on page it's Griffiths introduction to elementary particles on page 176 and then continues to 177 if you have a pdf version it's it's the pdf page 187 textbook page number 176 176 okay all right and then yeah the bottom half of the page shows the triangle that you drew maybe we have different versions of the book yeah. Do you have the 2008 version? Oh, I don't know. There's an equation 5.109 is on the same page. Okay. No, I'm seeing like a uh, uh, a graph uh, is in the bound states um, thing. And it's on botonium. 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> it's where I am currently on page 177. Oh no! I wonder if he like moved um, chapters around or something. What's the uh, chapter on? Chapter title is 
Baryons. Or maybe that's the section. No, the sec- the chapter is called Bound States, and then the, the section is 5.9 Baryons. Okay. All right. In mine, it's 5.6 Baryons. Yeah. Okay. I think I have found your, your triangle. It's a big, uh, huge triangle with really small writing of, of up, up, down, and down, up, up, and stuff like that. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. So that doesn't really show it, but it it highlights that there you know these are linear combinations of quark states that make up these particles. You know, each one of those dots is an two up and a down, but it's you know different combinations of those things. And then I don't know if it's in your book, but in mine, if you scroll a little bit further, you see the two anti-symmetric versions of the quark states. Yeah, Which, anti-symmetric in one and two, and anti-symmetric in two and three. Yeah, so you lop off the corners of that triangle, and you end up with this, it's a hexagon with one point in the middle, right? Yes. Looking at uh, your well, drawing on your paper. Mine has uh, two points in the middle. Oh, in the textbook, yes. Oh, but, yeah, yeah. But the one that you drew <laughs> yes, is, is one point. Right. Yep. Yeah, so that that's... Um, that hexagon it gets you six states, and then you like like you see in the textbook, there's two dots that end up being in the middle because there's two different ways to combine to get a spin one half um, particle. There's two different ways to combine the um, one up, one down, one strange. Because yeah, that middle that middle point should be one 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 for all of them, right? One up, one down, one strange. Right. Yes. So, if you read about the Baryon Octet, or the Eightfold Way from Murray Gell-Mann, what he's looking at, his Eightfold Way, is a graph of, he didn't know it, but it was the cork content, but what he was observing was strangeness and charge. And he organized them in this hexagon, which has six points, so there's six of the eight particles, and then there's one point in the middle, but it's duplicated because there's two different ways to get combinations of the um, bound states of one up, one down, and one strange. And this really falls out of like a group theory way of thinking about these things. Because I don't, this is another one of those like Mu Maison that just threw me off. Everything was uh, eightfold way and baryon octet. And I look at this, I'm like, I see six corners what are they talking about it's a hexagon that's six and then they're like well it's one in the middle i'm like well that's seven where's the eight and then they're like well you double the middle one like okay i don't really get it i still don't really get it i'm not gonna lie i don't really get it um i can tell you that the difference between those two dots that are in the center is the isospin being zero for one of them and then the isospin being one for the other one isospin of zero is the uh, lambda zero. It's actually lambda. I got it right this time. Not delta. Actually lambda zero particle, which is up, down, strange, one of each, and an isospin of zero, a spin one half particle made up of up, down, strange. And then if you have up, down, strange, spin one half, but then have an isospin of one, you end up with a sigma zero particle. So that's what those two dots are right there. But then this goes... Uh uh, further, right? Because we've, because I think we've only talked about. So we can be anti-symmetric, like you said. You can be anti-symmetric in one and two, anti-symmetric in two and three, or anti-symmetric in one and three is a linear combination of the other two. Right. That's right. Yep. So yeah. We, so 
we got we got 10 i'm, I'm counting states again we, we want to figure out where this 27 states of just blindly counting different combinations comes from we got 10 for the symmetric decouplet that's the spin three half version the table that you originally drew right okay then we said we're in a spin one half state for our combination of three quarks lop off the corners of the triangle because i said so <laughs> because of poly exclusion principle and because I can't really explain it further than that. And I don't understand it more than that. So <laughs> that's essentially what it is. Uh, but you end up with the hexagon shape, but there are seven points, but you double the middle one because of isospin states. That's your eightfold way. That's your, your, your baryon octet. And that's, like we said before, it could be anti-symmetric in that eightfold way, spin one half... Uh, baryon it's uh anti-symmetric in particle in quark one and quark two swapping those two things around or anti-symmetric in quarks two and three right okay so there's eight with the one two anti-symmetric states or eight more with the two three anti-symmetric states so we have 10 from the decouplet and then we have eight and eight for each of the two anti-symmetric octets so yeah, a total of twenty six. So yeah, we're at twenty six. So we're That's missing right. one, uh, one combination. Yeah, one combination. The singlet state, which is just a completely anti-symmetric in all three versions. And on in that Griffiths book, it it should be if you scroll up a little bit, it's just a single dot. It's not a fun drawing, but it's there. And it's it's again it's up down strange in a in a combination of. Let me just read it. U D S minus U S D plus D S U minus D U S plus S U D minus S D U all over root six. And if you swap any of the U or D's in that equation, you should flip a minus sign somewhere. You shouldn't, oh, sorry, you should end up with the negative version of what you had originally. Right. Yeah. So that's a completely anti-symmetric state. That's the singlet. That's why it's called singlet because it's just one. There's no other versions of that. Gotcha. Right. Yeah. So that's your 10 plus 8 plus 8 plus 1. And the, the Murray Gilman eightfold way baryon octet, those are those eights. And then the decouplet is the 10. And then you got that singlet state. Total of our 20, 27. Yep. 10 plus 8 plus 8, 16. And one more you got. Or 10 plus 8 plus 8, 26. <laughs> plus 1. 27 right and so this was kind of like our earlier we had our, our two times two times two is eight or mm -hmm. our four plus two plus two is eight exactly uh, so now we've broken it down into a 10 plus eight plus eight plus one right instead of a three times three times three Whew. so that's why murray gilman is you know known as i don't know I'm going to say he's the godfather of quark physics, but you know, he's, he's the go-to guy, the origin of all this stuff. Him, it's whenever you look up Mary Gilman, for some reason, there's always, and somebody else. It's like Mary Gilman did it and somebody else did it at the exact same time. But then Mary Gilman's more famous. So the other yeah. guy usually gets forgotten, but somebody yeah. else organized things very similarly at the same exact time that he did. Maybe it's just a, a American prejudice. Who knows? Yeah. Yep. Uh, is he American? I don't actually know. Uh, well, at least I think he was. I don't know if he was or at the time, but I think he taught at like ASU, maybe. Mm, interesting. 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> you go to his Wikipedia page, you look up the, the you know, they have the picture of him and it says known for and then yeah, crazy just amounts this of things. Huge list of um things. Uh Okay, sorry. I think it was um Santa Fe or Institute or University of New Mexico when he kind of came up with mm. He, he was, you know, he was in there doing, I think he was probably Manhattan Project related right, right. work at the time. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think he was in that area. Got it. So, yeah, this is how it's it's kind of like a group theory way of thinking about things going from just blindly counting how many ways can you combine up, down, strange, and then organizing them into a structured like table grid. Um, you get these states that have some rhyme or reason to them to the point where Murray Gilman could predict a particle that hadn't been observed yet using his kind of like group theory uh, methods. Right. Right. And well, and also like he did, he did the exact opposite of what we just did. We, we said, okay, let's combine up, down and strange quirks. Mm-hmm. He combined particles that were just no rhyme or reason. It was just like reaching in a bag and just being like, we've observed these, let's organize them. Yeah. And then, you know, he kind of made his periodic table, if you will, of, mm-hmm. of particles. And then uh, from there predicted three quarks. Right. Right. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. The way I had you draw it, thinking about up, down and up, down and strange quarks is completely not how most textbooks teach it. And it's completely not how uh, Marie Gellman did this. They usually talk about strangeness, charge, and maybe isospin. But to me that that was non not nonsense but it it just it didn't stick in my brain at all as to why they were doing it that way because if you look at just charge and strangeness you can make a rectangular you know xy grid and have the same points and it's it totally works and that was the first thing i did when i went back to try and learn how this stuff works i'm like well why can't i just make a rectangular grid and you can and it, it it works just fine but when you start realizing, oh, it's quarks, you actually want to get this into like a, a triangular grid. That's when it, it makes sense to have it in a triangle or a, a hexagon, you know, triangular points on your, your potential particles. Right, yeah, because we, we need kind of to be able to draw three independent-ish axes versus he only had two things that he was working with, charge and strangeness. Or- right, right. Yeah, so all of that goes into the baryon wave function, which again is fermionic, which is anti-symmetric. So you need those spatial color. Those are the easy ones. Spatial is always symmetric in the ground state. And then color is anti-symmetric because it has to be in that singlet state. And then you get complications in the spin and the flavor, which gets into the group theory that we were talking about. And the flavors lead to the octets and decouplets that we were saying. And then, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Okay, so I was going to say, so, okay, we have these, uh, we have the, the space and the color, which combined give us an anti-symmetric mm-hmm. state. So then, since we know that these are fermions, we know that the end state needs to be anti-symmetric. So that means whatever combination of spin and flavor we have, that combination has to be symmetric. Exactly. So then... Uh, uh, yeah, so th- that's kind of, I'm guessing that's, that's somehow related to this limiting uh, issue as well as we, we have to have these two combos of states that lead right. us to a symmetric outcome. Right. 
Yeah. And I, I said it's because of the poly exclusion principle and I'm kind of just parroting things that I've read, um, which I believe they're true, but I looked into poly exclusion in like quark theory and quantum field theory a little bit more because I, I came across one instance of somebody saying in non-relativistic quantum mechanics, like non-quantum field theory, the poly exclusion principle is just taken as a rule. Like it's just like, like I said, kind of like an ad hoc, like this is um, axiomatic almost. Like it's, it's right. just like everything has to follow this because that's what we observe and that's it. And that would have been a perfect example to my question earlier of like, it's weird that there are 27 possible color states, um, but nature always selects that one singlet colorless state for the observed baryons. And you could have said like, well, um, or I, I was thinking, what other instances in, in physics do we have multiple mathematically correct options, but then for some reason nature just picks one. And that's kind of the poly exclusion principle in, in non-quantum field theory, quantum mechanics. Because there's a ton of possible ways to organize electrons in an atom, but because of poly exclusion, they only select certain ones, right? Right, right yeah. Like you're not going to have two, uh, two electrons in the same shell both being like point or uh, spin up or right. something, right? We have to, even though that's like a, a feasible, you know, combination you could make, you rule that out. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, but something else that the, uh, someone continued to explain that the poly exclusion principle is actually derived in quantum field theory from other axioms that they take in quantum field theory, like symmetry arguments in, in the group organizational theory of, of combinations of particles, it poly exclusion actually falls out of it. Yeah, I was reading that too. That that um, uh, that was like one of the like that's one of the crowning jewels of QFT, or uh, is that they were able to you know instead of just saying hey there is this rule here they they proved it right exactly cool um, one other thing that I wanted to talk about is uh, not baryons but get into the mesons. And you don't have to draw much more. Just look at your uh, octet, that little hexagon. Um, can you reproduce the hexagon? Just just the points. You don't need to draw the lines just to make it quick. Sure, yeah. I, I can I can draw a hexagon real quick. Yeah, good. <laughs> With the one point in the center. Yeah. Okay, all right. Okay, just as before, the vertical like uh, axis, if there was one on your paper, you could imagine it. It's going to be measuring strangeness. And then up and to the right is going to be upness and up and to the left is going to be downness. But the difference is the point in that center of the hexagon, which was the one, one, one quark content, like one up, one down, one strange before uh -huh. that's now zero. That's actually an origin. It's zero strangeness, zero upness and zero downness. Sorry. Okay. One more time. Which point is that? This the, the point in the center of the hexagon. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Okay, so that that's zero for everything. Zero not... for everything. Yep, and okay. it's not zero quarks. It's mesons. Remember, so now we're dealing with two quarks, and the way to get zero strangeness, zero upness, and zero downness is to have, you know, up anti up. For example, that would be zero zero zero. No strange, right. no up, no down. Right. Which seems then, uh, uh, maybe I don't want to jump the gun here, but that if you can do that for upness, you can do that for 
down and strange, right? You can have a strange anti-strange and a down anti-down. Yeah, you would think, but it's, it's, again, it's a little more complicated because of these linear combinations, but, um, let's, let's put some numbers on these axes and then we can start talking about, um, what the particles are at these points. Okay. Um, so on the, the up, the vertical axis of strangeness, the origin is at zero. And then if you go up from there, that's a strangeness of plus one. Okay. And remember, strangeness is negative. So any strangeness of plus one, plus one means you have an anti-strange quark. So anything up on your hexagon, there should be two points up from that origin. Not not in line uh, with yes, it, but, right, but like yes, above yes. it. Yeah. Um, those are both particles that have an, an one anti-strange quark. Okay. And then you can imagine below the two points on the bottom of your hexagon, those have a strangeness of negative one they have a strange quark in them. Right. And then if you go, so you're, you're, if you go down into the left, that's an upness of negative one. Okay. So that's an, uh, anti, uh, anti up quark, anti up quark. Yeah. Yep. And then if you go up into the right, that's an upness of positive one. Right. So that's just a regular. Mm-hmm. And then you can probably imagine the rest, but to give you the orientation in which number goes where, if you go up and to the left, that's a downness of negative one. Okay, so it's just a down. Just a down quark. Quark. Yep. And then down into the right is plus one downness. Okay. So again, this is not the way it was originally defined. It was originally strangeness and charge and isospin. Um, but... In my head, this explains these drawings so much more than anything I've seen elsewhere. So I I wanted to like highlight that really it's a, it's a nice way to organize the three quarks. Historically speaking, that's not how it was done, but it's just to draw these drawings, pick three quarks, fix your spin, and then figure out the combinations. And that's all you got. But this is actually easier because it doesn't really matter. Like there's no decouplet for, um, the, the an up down strange combination of mesons like it, it is actually only this this hexagon with one dot in the middle okay so we don't have to make an argument about poly exclusion to get rid of the corners right so yeah how many different ways could you combine um three different quarks up and down you know you can do the combinations again but we, we basically have it here and right. yeah go ahead well, it's uh, isn't it? It's three quarks. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of this includes into three quarks should combine. Uh, is it nine ways? Because each each quark, like a strange, compare with three other quarks. Right. Each up quark compare with three other quarks. Each down quark compare with three other quarks. So right. a total of nine. That's right. But again, this this is why those names octet and decouplet. I hate them because they confuse the hell out of me and. It's it's a nine combination thing, but it's a hexagon, which I think of six, but I know there's a point in the middle, so that's seven. But then we saw in the other one, sometimes you double it because isospin, so that's eight. But then here in quarks, we're in nine. I don't know. Let me tell you like how it's usually explained as the meson octet. So we're going to ignore a nine, a ninth version for a second. Good? 
Um, uh, yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> but uh, look, I was just going to throw out there that there's um, glancing at uh, when I was reading through Griffiths yesterday, <laughs> he did talk about um, octets where it's the same six corners plus two in the center somewhere. Mm-hmm. And then he also mentioned, and I'm trying to find it really quick, nonets. Yes. Which which are nine. Was that so I'm presuming maybe we'll talk about different things here, but Yeah. I um, mean it it is a nonet, but usually people keep the ninth state separate. Oh, okay. Kinda like how we you know, we said there's the singlet state. We didn't draw a separate drawing for it, but you could have put it on the octet, right? Okay. Like you, right. you could have included it. It still had zero um or it had an up, a down, and a strange. It had one of each but in a, in a certain combination that it was anti-symmetric in all three flavors. Yeah. So similarly, we have the octet here. Um, and that middle point in the middle of the hexagon has two particles associated with it, which, again, differ by isospin. Um, and let's let me just give you some names of these particles. The top ones that have an anti-strange... Uh, those are K particles. So day, so down anti-strange is K0. And then up anti-strange is K+. plus. Okay, K0, K+. Plus. Yep. And then the left side, working along the, the middle of the hexagon. To the left is the pi minus, which is a down anti-up. Okay. And let's go all the way to the far right, which is um, a pi plus, which is an up anti-down. Okay. So gotcha. these are pi mesons. They're sometimes called pions. And sometimes the Ks, they get kaons. The name is kaon. Yes. Yeah, so I, I didn't know if it was kaon, kaon. Yeah. Kaon. It's a K, K meson <laughs> or a kaon. Yeah. And then at the bottom, we got more Ks. So that at the top of the hexagon, we got K0 and K plus. And at the bottom, we have... Um, strange anti-up and strange anti-down. Strange anti-up is K-. minus. That's the bottom left of the hexagon. And then um, K0, but it's it's the top left is K0, but we would call this one, uh, it's it's an anti-K0. So it gets K0 bar. has a bar over it. Right. And that's one way to look at this meson is do anti-particles. They're exactly across from each other in the hexagon okay so like a pi pi plus is a uh the antiparticle is the pi minus right yep which really makes sense i think when you look at you know the quark content of it you know you have an uh pi minus is down anti up and uh, pi plus is up anti down exactly so all four of those are antiparticles of each other Mm -hmm. yep and so you have the the k zero which is neutral but it's a down anti-strange. But another way to get the neutral K particle is a strange anti-down. So they're both neutral, but they have different strangeness values, But and they're, they're anti-particles of each other. Okay, that center place, there's two dots there in this octet. We have a pi zero, a neutral pi on, and then we have an eta particle. Sometimes it's called eta zero, sometimes it's just eta. Do you know what the quark content of yeah. these guys are? So pi zero is up anti-up, 
minus down anti down. And then you got normalization of one over root two out in front of that. And, and then the eta is up anti up plus down anti down minus strange anti strange. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. It's minus two strange anti strange. Oh, okay. So these are really, they are, you know, this is more than just like, hey, there's these two quarks, you know, stuck together. It's really like a quantum state of exactly. quarks. Yeah. Um, so those are the, that's the meson octet that we just explained with the, the pi zero and the eta being in the, in the middle there. Um, and you, yeah, it's up anti up minus down anti down. And then the eta is up anti up plus down anti down minus two strange anti strange. Um, that comes from essentially building ground states of quark anti quark pairs. Uh, not, I keep saying ground states when I, what I mean is like basis states, like linear algebra version of, of states. So we're setting right, up okay. basis states that we build linear combinations of. Okay. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Yep. Okay. So the basis states is that they're basically, they're combinations of, hold on one second. I'm, I'm reading something that I was trying to find. Yeah, one basis state. So the, the basis states. One of them is the up min the up anti up minus down anti down. Right. That's that's the pi zero, the neutral pi on. Mm -hmm. And I'm ignoring the normalization factors just to talk about the quark content. Right. There's another um, state that we could build, which is up anti up plus down anti down. So the pion is, is, it's got the minus sign. You could build a state out of the plus, but there's no particle that has the plus. It's up, anti-up, plus down, anti-down, with a combination of some strange state. Strange, anti-strange. Right. So there's two ways to combine it. You can get up, anti-up, plus down, anti-down, minus two strange, anti-strange. That's one way. Right. Or you can have up anti up plus down anti down plus strange anti strange. Single strange anti strange. Yeah. And oh, it, okay. it's a little bit different than that, but let, uh, let me, can I say it in like the actual mathematical ways with normalization content? So yeah, yeah. So it's, it's up anti up plus down anti down minus root two strange anti strange over square root of three. Okay. And that, yeah, that root two is kind of to normalize the strange anti-strange relative to the up, anti-up plus down, anti-down. And it works out to be up, anti-up plus down, anti-down minus two strange anti-strange all over root six. I know it's, it's complicated to follow, but the the main thing I want people to understand is that we're building basis states out of an up anti up down anti down combination with a plus right. sign between them and then that with the plus sign combines with strange anti strange in a particular way to get linear combinations one of them is the eta particle that's the one that has the minus two strange anti strange right that's the one that fits in the meson octet along with the 
pion, which is up, anti up, minus down, anti down. It's the only one that has a minus sign between the ups and the downs. Right. The eta particle has a minus sign right before the strange, anti strange combination. That's eta. Right. Okay. So that fits on the octet. Then there's the singlet, a kind of the, the octet plus this one other state, which is the eta prime. Eta prime is up anti up plus down anti down plus strange anti strange all over root three. It's the simplest way to, that you would think to combine up downs and stranges meson states. Okay. But it comes from building uh, basis states up anti up minus down anti down and then the other basis state up anti up plus down anti down. That's two basis states and then also combine strange anti strange. That's your third basis state. How could you combine those three basis states to end up with a, um, a particle that has zero up down and strangeness? Those are the three different ways. The pi zero, the eta and the pi and the eta prime. Gotcha. And the pi zero is purely that one basis state with zero of the other two basis states. Right. And then the eta has that one basis state with the plus sign between them and then the strangeness mixed in. And the eta prime has the basis state with the plus between the up and the down and then plus the strange basis state. Right. Okay. And that's that up, up, sorry, that up, anti, up, down, anti, down, strange, anti, strange business. That's the eta prime singlet, which usually isn't included in the Maison octet, but it does complete the combination of nine that you were saying possible ways of combining three quarks into a two quark, three quark flavors into a two quark particle. And yeah. So in, uh, in Griffiths, he does have this listed and he, he calls it a, a nonet. Yeah. Yeah, it is a nonet, and but and yeah, I I did say octet and meson octet because it's often referred to as meson octet in the eightfold way, and that's again why this stuff I just was so confused by it in lots of different ways, and this was one of them. Like people saying octets and then saying, "Well, there's ten, well, there's nine, well, there's eight. Sometimes, you know what? Right. So, yeah." Murray Gilman knew what he was talking about. There's a reason he called it an octet, but it really is a nonet if you count this other state. And the reason it's not counted, sometimes people say, is because the mass is so much higher. Um, it's about double the mass of the second most massive particle. The most massive particle in the octet is um, around 550 MeV. And then the mass of the eta prime is almost a thousand MeV. Oh, okay. So sometimes people say, well, it doesn't belong because it's more massive. That seems like a, uh, just a choice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's the Maison quote unquote octet, but it's the way to combine up and down quarks, but, and strange quarks, sorry. But I, I think just thinking about these drawings that you see sometimes, these kind of triangular grids, there's, there is a method to them. And that's where it comes from. And then you can imagine things get much, 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 much more complicated if you were to throw in a charm quark. You know, you need four axes now, and you can look up multiplets with charm quarks, and it's like these 3D pyramid structures, and yeah, like 3D, I don't know what the shape is, but like, kind of like a soccer ball, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, or uh, um, 
they look like uh what do you call them like the the greek solids almost mm-hmm. yeah the platonic solids something yes yeah yeah, yeah. stuff like that I yeah mean, and and you can imagine it's like take your drawing of these triangles and hexagon grids but then extend them out of the page and into the page into like a 3d version of that we're looking at a slice where charmed equals zero of this like multiplied and then you throw in the top cork the bottom cork uh, nothing with the top cork but yeah you can imagine this gets real complicated really fast and then make the spin um sorry not the spin but make 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 it not in the ground state make it in an excited state then you get even more possible combinations it gets it gets really complicated which is why there's a whole zoo of these things yeah, exactly and that, that's exactly right just make all these particles the same except make them in an, in an excited state not the ground state you have completely new particles and an interesting explanation of you know we why don't we do that with atoms like why do we take a hydrogen atom we don't call the n equal three state extra you know some other name other than it's still hydrogen right like it's right, not yeah. in the ground state but it's still hydrogen and an explanation was that the masses when the, you're in an excited state in a bound quark system the mass becomes so much different that it's actually makes more sense to consider it a completely new particle like the the e equals mc squared that gets added by making it excited nuclearly i guess it's not nuclear it's not a nucleus but um in the, the baryon the mass difference is enormous compared to the e equals mc squared of the excited hydrogen atom the mass difference is it's there it's actually you can calculate it but it's negligible you don't even consider it really when you're thinking about these things so we call all hydrogen states whether excited or not hydrogen but if you take a quark and excite it now it has a totally different mass that's a different particle wow interesting yeah so i mean there's just tons of the i mean so we drew out one um nonet or octet Mm -hmm. for mesons right and you know griffiths here this was in 2008 i'm reading the updated version mm-hmm. um he says that there's 15 established nonets right is what he's calling these and uh though he says though in some cases not all the members have been discovered yet um so i mean like yeah okay so you, we just said there's nine here but then you know you add all these other particles and you get you're up to you know 15 times nine right and those are all, I mean, I think those are, uh, yeah, I, okay, I can't say any more than that. But, I mean, just a whole mass of, 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 of particles. Right. Yep. Yeah. And you look at, if you just Google list of baryons, um, not even look at mesons yet, but baryons only, it's a table in Wikipedia that, you know, has protons, neutrons up at the top, and then you have lambdas, lambda plus charms, lambda bottom, zeros, psi plus psi zero psi plus plus charmed you know it's just a mess like all these different symbols with subscripts and superscripts primes um stars so there is a rhyme and a reason to them like all sigmas are either up 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 or down 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 like there's two ups and two downs i believe that's true or sorry it's it's a combination of two quarks that could be an up or a down i think that's the naming of sigmas so any combination of two quarks that two could be up or two could be down or one could be up, one down, that's sigma. And then psi is any combination with um, strange. <laughs> like there, there, there's, there's reasons to these names, but it's not even worth memorizing what they are. It's just quark combinations and excited yeah, states. Yeah. 
I think I think uh, the other way to say maybe what you just said, Derek, is I think Sigma is looking at the the uh, what do you call it the um, octet that we made earlier mm-hmm. is uh, or the was it deck deck was uh, the, the couplet the couplet yeah yeah um, Sigmas are are all they have one strange. I think. Well, I think they have one that's not up or down. I think that's what it is. Oh, okay. Because if you scroll further, yeah, there's like the sigma star plus subscript B. That's an up, up, B. Up, up, bottom quark. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Yeah. I was just looking at the three uh, up, down, strange yeah. combos. Yeah. Okay. And I see. The bottom one in the table is the omega minus BBB. Like that's how they write like the symbol for it. <laughs> and then there's like Omega star plus CCB. I mean, it's, it's not that weird because it's, yeah, telling you to make a star, it's a positive and there's two charm in the bottom. Like, but it's just, it gets kind of ridiculous. Like, <laughs> I guess it's shorthand for like the linear combination with the root twos and root threes flooding around and like, right. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, I kind of at one point I want to talk about um, not today, but in, you know, in a, their standard model thing is kind of like the experimental side of the the physics that happened here because there's a lot of cool, you know, uh, theory and experiment uh, working you know together in this like, really nice way, um, and I, I think you know I just kind of want to stress how like. How, again, how amazing it is that that we were able, you know, or we when I, I, I'm including myself in this, that uh, Murray Gelman was able to, you know, take take all these particles that you know we've just been listing and say, ah, oh, no, okay, all of that comes from three three particles, mm-hmm. you know, or well, okay, so I mean, you've listed ones that come from like six particles, but uh, you know the the 27 things just to take that and say oh no that's it's all simpler than this right it all comes from these these three that that i mean that's just like an amazing thing because if we didn't have that we'd have this huge like we wouldn't be in an easier place than when we started right right yeah exactly um there's reference or books or i don't know i've seen it multiple times the particle zoo like we just have so many deltas and pies and zys and lambdas you know size and j's and k's and, you know it, it gets messy real fast and there's way too many particles so we just you know thankfully there's a structure underneath all of this which is the the quirks the standard model but yeah and, and they, they they combine in a particular way that follows logic and follows you know there is structure to it it just seems like a completely chaotic mess when you first look at it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's not simple, but like, yeah, people like you know Gelman and and, and Feynman and stuff were able to come up with these really nice, uh, you know, ways of explaining it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I mean, Feynman. I don't know if he worked on quarks, but. Uh, you know the Feynman diagrams, which I think we'll probably talk about at some point, are just a great way of visualizing, you right. know, what's happening without having to do all of this uh, complicated math. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you know even beyond just the omega plus plus CCC, 
triple charmed omega plus whatever um you get into baryon baryon resonance particles which are the same particles which are the same particles but just higher mass like i talked about earlier so so they they have the symbol plus or and then in parentheses the mass of it just next to it they don't even bother making more symbols it's just here's the mass <laughs> um and then uh you know so i think just to talk about a couple of uh, other things really quick you know there are there there's potentially we're looking for like we started out saying you know uh other combinations of quarks because we need you know the the okay well i guess uh i guess one thing that's worth saying slightly is that because we need this colorless uh state um, to see to have a, a particle that we that exists, mm-hmm. we, we've never seen an individual quirk, right? Uh, and, and as of I think right now, we don't think we'll we will ever see individual quirks. Because even if you take a meson and you were to pull the two particles apart, you know the the quark and the anti quark, what would happen at some point? There'd be so much energy from pulling these two things apart that they would spontaneously spawn two new quirks right and you just end up with two mesons mm-hmm. so like you you, t- you we can't isolate quirks so I, the to say that they exist is you know like like when you haven't viewed one uh on its own is is a a you know it might seem like a stretch but we have my, my understanding from what i've read is we, we kind of just have all of this this structure that comes from quirks plus you know additional experimental evidence of things that we'd expect um from doing like uh, uh neutrino scattering uh, off of protons and that sort of thing that that lead us to uh, say okay you know we think that quarks do exist you know uh you know they're not just this like nice mathematical uh tool for us that this is a real thing that that that's in nature right right um yeah and the so yeah they're looking for the potentially they're looking for these other quark states but then also um you know we we have the three generations of of quarks right now the up down um strange uh strange charm and uh top bottom um and I, I, from what I was reading, there's no real reason, right, that there couldn't be necessarily a fourth generation. Um, yeah, I don't. Like, not that I know. Yeah, uh, I think one of the quick overviews I saw in Griffiths was just like, yeah, there, you know, it, it's possible. Mm-hmm. You know, we might not be limited to three generations of things, and that's that's, um, you know, another thing to keep, you know, to that out there on the horizon of physics is is are there other quirks yeah i think if there were following the if there were another generation it would be following the trend where the mass increases with with each one and if Mm -hmm. if if it's you know if it keeps going beyond the top quark which is so unstable it doesn't even really form any bound states i don't know if it's more massive than the top quark if it's going to do anything you know it, they say it decays so quickly that the physics doesn't have a chance to actually do anything. So does that, does that even count as a particle? But yeah, it's possible. And maybe the top quark, it's so much more massive than the bottom quark, the next, you know, the next highest mass one. 
it's so much more massive. It, I could imagine that the next generation is actually less massive than the top cork. I mean, that wouldn't follow the trend, but there's such a huge gap that there's room for there to be something else. Right. Yeah. Or, um, you know, maybe I, I don't know why there would be, but like with, uh, you know, an analogy in, in chemistry and atoms, we've found kind of like these islands of stability. Mm. Um, right. And, you know, who knows? But I, I, I think, I think one of the things I read is that like, uh, he's Griffith saying is that like at some point we're getting up to these, uh, to produce things that we think might exist that were like high beyond these masses. Mm-hmm the energy in the colliders is just unfathomably stupid right we like we we just wouldn't right do it <laughs> yeah yep well cool well this is good i'm happy i got to talk this out yeah great so yeah so so far we've you know we kind of gave the overview we talked about then this time we talked about uh combinations of corks right. um which are called hadrons uh and I don't know exactly what we're going to discuss next time, but we still have kind of leptons to cover a little bit um, or bosons. Um, I really want to go into some, like, what's beyond the standard model. Okay, that's, yeah, I, well, I feel like... <laughs> there's, there's more to talk should, about before that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel like we should save that for okay. <laughs> sure. for last. Sure. Because <laughs> um, I, I still think, you know, we, we have... Uh, a little bit of, of, you know, things I was thinking about, we're talking about were like uh, a little bit of QFT in general, like, right. um, like Lagrangians and stuff. Yeah. And, uh, uh, fi- getting into Feynman diagrams. Sure. Um, and, uh, uh, what was it? Oh, um, this could be fit, fit in wherever, but talk about uh, like accelerator physics maybe a little bit because sure. that's kind of the things that are making these. Um, and uh, I think it'd be interesting to also just talk about kind of like the experiments that were, were done to some degree. Uh, but, you know, that that could, some of that I think can be fit into like one, one, one podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, I think it would be interesting to talk about uh, leptons at some point too, and then um, uh, bosons. Cool, sounds good to me. All right, well, uh, you know, if you like this, then please share it. I guess. Yeah. If you find this interesting, fix our mistakes. I'm sure there are multiple. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, we're we're reading and learning about this at the same time. You know, so we're just kind of. At least I am. Yeah. I'm presenting, you know, whatever I say is kind of from the bits and pieces that I've been putting together. Yeah. I've been, uh, we, I think we pick talk topics because we don't know much about them when we, we want to learn more. So <laughs> it's our excuse to go study it. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. Well, I guess I'll talk to you next week. Yep. See ya.